ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so today then we carry on with the seerah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We mentioned yesterday some of the events surrounding the battle of Badr. Today we'll mention another story that happened during the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This particular story it highlights to us the importance of giving da'wah, the importance of patience in giving da'wah, the importance of persistence in giving da'wah. This will all be learnt from the story that is mentioned regarding the Prophet ﷺ and his uncle Abu Talib. Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when the father of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam died, Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib, then at that time, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had not even been born yet. The Prophet ﷺ had not been born yet. His mother was pregnant with him whilst his father Abdullah died. Then after his mother gave birth to Muhammad ﷺ, and when she also passed away very quickly and soon after that, then it was the grandfather of the Prophet who took guardianship of him, Abdul Muttalib. So he looked after the Prophet initially. Then when Abdul Muttalib also passed away, he had advised his own son, Abu Talib, who was the uncle of the Prophet to look after Muhammad So Abu Talib then became the guardian of the Prophet Muhammad And the Prophet Muhammad was raised under Abu Talib and he grew up until eventually the prophethood came to him at the age of 40 so at the age of 40 the prophethood came to the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he then began slowly as the revelation came began calling to tawheed 
and warning against shirk began warning against the very same religion that his uncle Abu Talib was upon that his grandfather Abdul Muttalib had been upon that all of his forefathers had been upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam began to warn against that religion of shirk despite that Abu Talib from the mushrikeen continued to protect and guard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam thumma lamma ba'athahu Allahu rasulan ila al-'alamin qama ma'ahu yahmihi wa yudafi'an even after Allah gave the Prophet the messengership, Abu Talib continued to stand by his side. Even though Abu Talib was mushrik, and Muhammad وسلم, calling to Tawheed and warning against that shirk, but Abu Talib continued to stand by his nephew's side. To the extent that the other mushrikun they began not only to oppress the Muslims, of course, but they began to oppress Abu Talib, even though he was one of them. They began to oppress him and do harm to him because he was defending the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. Even though Abu Talib hadn't accepted Islam, he was still a mushrik, but they began to oppress him and they began to harm him also. It is mentioned that Abu Talib wrote some poetry once. It is mentioned that Abu Talib wrote some poetry once. Ibn Kathir mentions it in Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya that indicates Abu Talib knew Islam was the truth. He knew it because in the poetry he wrote, وَلَقَدْ عَلِمْتُ بِأَنَّ دِينَ مُحَمَّدْ مِنْ خَيْرِ أَدْيَانِ الْبَرِيَّةِ دِينَا That indeed, I know, I know that the religion of Muhammad is the best of all of these religions of mankind. Abu Talib apparently wrote this poem. I know that the religion of Muhammad is the best of all of the religions of mankind. Was it not for the blameworthiness that would befall me? And was it not from the fear of thinking that I would be abusing my forefathers by accepting Islam? Was it not for the blameworthiness that I fear and the blameworthiness of me abusing and rejecting our forefathers? Was it not for all of that? then you would have seen me coming forth to Islam. So it is as though Abu Talib knew 
the reality of Islam and the truth of it. But his nationalistic or his type of connection to his people, to the Quraysh, to his forefathers, to their religion, all of those bonds and connections, he felt as though it would be blameworthy upon him and wrong of him to turn his back on his grandfather, on his father, on his people and reject their religion. He felt as though he would be abusing them and it would be from him a bad mannerism towards them. So with this feeling of blameworthiness and this feeling of not being able to let go of the Quraysh and them, he did not actually end up accepting Islam. Even though in this poem, he says, I know Islam is the best of the religions of all of these, what they do in mankind. Islam is the truth. But he didn't accept. Despite that, he did continue to defend the Prophet to protect him and to guard him against the mushrikeen and their plots and their harms against the Muslims and against the Prophet He would defend him and he would protect him and he himself would put himself into the line of fire from the Quraysh in defense of the Prophet So in the end, when eventually death came to Abu Talib, who was still mushrik, he was now on his deathbed. So the Prophet ﷺ went to him to give him da'wah once again, to carry on and make one more attempt before he passes away. So the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ went to him and he said to him, Ya Am, O oh my uncle, in this manner of respect and kindness, in this manner of respect, my uncle, in this manner of love and honor, my uncle, قُلْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Say, La ilaha illallah. Say, acknowledge that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. Kalima uhaju laka biha indallah. That is a statement that I will be able to defend you with on the day of judgment. Faqala lahu Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl, the mushrik, was there too at the bedside. And he saw what the Prophet ﷺ was trying to do, trying to convince Abu Talib to just say it and accept Islam before dying. So Abu Jahl, when he saw that attempt, he tried to quash that attempt. And he said to Abu Talib, Are you going to abandon the religion of your father? Abdul Muttalib, you're going to abandon the religion of your father. 
When the Prophet wasallam saw Abu Jahl trying to convince him to stay as mushrik, the Prophet wasallam tried again. Again he said to him, O oh, uncle, say la ilaha illallah. Again Abu Jahl when he heard that made his attempt. Again saying to him, Are you going to leave the religion of your forefathers? The religion of your father, Abdul Muttalib. You're going to abandon that? So these attempts were being made. The Prophet ﷺ was trying to tell him, accept Islam for your salvation. Abu Jahl was there convincing him, wait, your own father, you're going to turn your back on him. So in the end, Abu Talib, just before dying, affirmed his decision which was that he is going to remain upon the religion of his forefathers shirk and so he died upon that shirk the fact that Abu Talib spent his life Defending the Prophet ﷺ, protecting him, even apparently accepting the fact that Islam is the religion of truth. After doing all of that, even being harmed by the mushrikeen for doing it, even though he was one of them. After all of that, in the end, he still died upon shirk. And therefore, in the hereafter, he will be in the hellfire. Shoes burning, feet upon the coals, making his blood boil until his brains boil. That is the least of the punishment. Yet he will consider that there is nobody in more severe punishment than him. What is the benefit from here? Two sides. From the action of the Prophet ﷺ, we see that da'wah, it requires patience, it requires perseverance, it requires wisdom, knowledge, manners, everything that you saw. From the Prophet ﷺ going to the deathbed of his uncle, a mushrik, to attempt to give him da'wah in the generous and kind and beautiful manners. Persistence and patience in giving da'wah. Because no doubt the path to giving da'wah is difficult. As everybody learns from the beginning, as-sabru ala al-adha fihi. You need to have patience upon this path of da'wah, upon this path of practicing the religion, calling to this religion. So we see that example from the Prophet ﷺ here. Secondly, the second main benefit, that simply acknowledging and accepting that Islam is the truth, without practicing and acting upon it, without actually 
affirming it and testifying to it, then it does not benefit you a single thing. A person can sit there all his life and say, I know Islam is the truth. But if he does not accept the shahadatain, does not enter into Islam, then his acceptance, mere acceptance without entering into it, will not benefit him. And you could think about that in our respect also. A Muslim, a Muslim now, accepting, acknowledging, saying, I know, I know you're supposed to pray five times a day. I know you're supposed to do these worships. I know you're not supposed to do this haram and that haram. I know you're not supposed to drink alcohol. I know you're not supposed to smoke. But despite all of that acknowledgement of what he knows, he does not act and practice upon it. So he doesn't pray five times a day even though he knows. That is an obligation upon him from his Lord, from his creator. Doesn't do it. Then in the hereafter, what will be your justification and what will be your argument? That I knew you were supposed to. You knew you were supposed to, but you didn't do it. So you have no good deeds to account for it. Simply knowing, simply knowing isn't a deed of goodness that will go. Rather the action of performing it is required too. That's why Iman is belief and statements and actions. At the same time saying that you know this is haram and that is haram, I know. But you still can't help yourself and you go and do it. Then what will be your justification on that day? You're going to say, I knew it was wrong, but you still did it. So your justification is what? That is even worse. You know it's haram. And you still go and do it. Abu Talib, he defended the Prophet ﷺ. Imagine the final messenger, the best of creation. Abu Talib defended him, protected him, got harmed himself from his own people, the mushrikun, for doing it. Yet in the end, still in the hellfire. Because he did not accept Islam, enter into it and practice it. Did not do it. So take admonition from that. Don't just sit there all of your lives. I know, I know you're supposed to do this. I know you're supposed to do that. But I can't. I'm just weak. I'm this, I'm that. Knowing it isn't the, the objective. Knowledge is not the objective. You know, when you seek knowledge, you don't seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Knowledge isn't the objective. Now all of this we're doing, knowledge... Knowledge is not the goal. So if knowledge is not the goal, what are we doing sitting here? What is the goal? What is the purpose of all of this? Why do we sit and have lessons and talk about these stories of the prophets? What is the goal if knowledge isn't the goal? What is it? To implement it it and act upon it. To go and do your worship upon it. You learn about all of this knowledge. You see how the prophets and messengers used to be. So that you can go and better yourself. Not that you just hear all of these stories and say, MashaAllah, that's how the prophets used to be. But I'm just weak and I'm going to carry on with this and that. 
That will not be your justification on the day of judgment. So remember this example. Remember what Abu Talib did. Practically sacrificed his life to defend the Prophet ﷺ, yet in the hellfire. Because he didn't accept and practice Islam. So don't be from those people who sit there saying, I know this, I know that. I know you're supposed to do that. I know this is wrong. But you never actually do it. And you never actually leave the haram. Accept what is right and wrong and start practicing now. Because as the scholars they say, now you may be in a situation where you know what the right is and what the wrong is. And your heart is accepting of it, but you can't bring yourself to do it. Later on, this time next year, who knows what your state will be this time next year? Where your heart will be this time next year? This time next year, you may not even be in a state where you accept the right in the first place. You may not even be in a state where your heart brings you to the mosque this time next year. How do you know where you will be and where your heart will be? And that's why the Prophet ﷺ used to make the dua. Ya muqallib al-qulubi thabbit qalbi ala deenik. The Prophet ﷺ used to make the dua. Oh Allah, the one who changes the hearts of the people. Keep my heart firm upon your religion. Keep my heart firm upon your religion. Same as Ibrahim salam, he used to make the dua. Allah, protect me and my offspring from the worship of the idols. So now that you have come to a state in your life where your heart recognizes the truth, then don't delay until you get to a time where your heart no longer even recognizes the truth. Then you will not come to practice. When a person misses the opportunity when he has it, you do not know if it will come back to you again. So then what will be your result in the hereafter? Now in Ramadan you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity for rectification. So use this opportunity for rectification. These stories of the prophets and messengers, we've been reading them in order to think about them. Think about how they used to live. Think about the things they used to have to face. But their trust and their dependence was in Allah. Dua to Allah constantly. And Allah gave them success and they'll be from the successful in the hereafter. So that is important for all of us to focus on and to think about and ponder over. And that's where we'll conclude for tonight. And inshallah ta'ala tomorrow we'll carry on. With the final peace, insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.